praising him to build his confidence up. Good boy. Good boy. But he's way too young to be teaching commands yet. Good boy. So I'm just going to teach him just to go right around these 10 sheep because one day I want him to go around a thousand. Ian O'Connell is one of Australia's best sheepdog trainers. He is by any means what you'd call a Kelpie master. And with 50 years of experience, he has a lot of runs on the board. So if you're only the slightest bit interested in dogs, so even how to improve your relationship with working dogs, you've got a really special episode of The Yarn ahead of you. So welcome. This is a podcast about the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming, and we wouldn't have the great Australian wool industry of today without sheepdogs. But Ian O'Connell from Western Victoria believes many modern-day farmers have actually lost the art of working alongside these loyal, hard-working companions. What I love about travelling and doing these schools is I meet some fantastic farmers and I see some fantastic dogs, but I see a big communication breakdown between these great people and these great dogs. So quite often I'll hear these great people telling me that these these dogs are, are, are no good. So um, I, and it, that's not right. It's just that those people that are using these dogs don't have the don't have the knowledge or the skills to be able to communicate with the dogs so that you work in unison. And it's it's a it's a very easy skill to learn. It's just because I think. Um, I think once motorbikes turned up and utes and laneways, I think the skills got left behind a bit. But also in saying that, many years ago, like when I was a, um, when I was a child, everything was bash and crash. So we, had, uh, we used to break horses in, we used to break dogs in, and we had corporal punishment for kids. That's all changed. It's now 2019. So there's no such thing as breaking anything in because if you break an animal in, it's usually by using pain or fear and getting it to comply because it thinks if it doesn't, I'm going to get hurt. Well, that is no way to treat an animal. But not only that, but if you treat it, if you learn what's going on between its ears and work with it instead of fighting it, um, they'll reward you a, a thousand times over. And it's just the same with children. I mean, corporal punishment's out. We just, it's all about positive reinforcement. So it is an easy skill to learn. Now, labour efficiency is something that every uh, sheep producer, um, including yourself uh, as a sheep producer, I think you said you run 2,000 ewes uh, here, are, are looking for. It's, it's one of the hardest things to get happening on a farm, um, but you're saying that, that dogs are a very big uh, part of that solution. Well, they can be and they should be. Uh, as I said, um, the working dog is the most misunderstood and most underutilised resource available to the livestock industry in Australia. I just think farm, if like farmers are so good at adopting the latest technologies and things to make you know improve their better bottom line and become more profitable and and everything, but something that's just getting left behind is, there, is, is farmers' abilities to have a great team of working dogs so that, and we know that with livestock now, it's monitor, monitor, monitor. So, you know, you're checking worm levels, you're, you're, you're condition scoring, you're weighing. So there's quite a bit of mustering and, and you know, uh, putting sheep through yards to be able to, to, you know, keep them happy and healthy and profitable. And sometimes people tend not to do as much of that as they should be because they, it's, it's a very painful exercise to go out there if your dogs aren't quite 
up to it uh, or you haven't got any dogs, whereas if you've got a really good team of working dogs, it's an absolute pleasure to go and do stock work and it's very efficient. So one person with a good team of working dogs can just do so much and not only is it good for the handler, it's also good for your livestock. So, you know, there's a lot less stress on your livestock when you've got good, uh, good working dogs. So just about all the dogs, I, you know, people, I all the time have people coming to me and saying, this dog's no good, where can I get another one? And I'll just say, well, just give me a look at the one you've got. And in no time at all, you, you'll just see great skills coming from that dog. It's just that the person that had it uh, wasn't able to discover that. So it's just a skill that handlers need to learn. Right, so uh, I should declare I've been to one of your schools and I think it's fair to say that you know, not everyone has the God-given gift that, that you do, but by the same token, the schools are not for dogs. The dog schools are for the dog handlers. Absolutely. I, I, I have people come here and they've got their dogs and they just think, well, you know, the school will go for two days and they think, uh, I'll, I'm going to go away with a fantastic dog. Uh, I'm not interested in their dog. Quite frankly, I, I just want to make sure it's well looked after and everything. But I, what I want to deal with is the person. So I want to teach the person to be able to go home and teach them and work, work the dog. And I just keep saying it is the easiest thing to learn. It is not difficult to train and have good working dogs. So you're obviously a, a Kelpie man, but would you say that all working dogs have an instinct or are there some dogs that don't have it that are better off as a town pet or something like that yeah well the only reason i ended up i, I guess called a, a kelpie person is because i sort of i started uh created and developed the casted and the whole casted and working dog auction things 22 years ago and before that i I've, i'll admit i've had border collies uh, but once i did that well i had to be seen as a kelpie person i do like kelpies but border collies by, by the same token, they are brilliant dogs as well. So Border Collies and Kelpies are both known as heading dogs. And this is probably the biggest thing that people don't understand. They get a little pup or a young dog that hasn't been educated and, and they go to shift stock somewhere and the, and the human always tends to be at the back and wanting to hunt the stock and they want this little pup to be back with them hunting the stock as well. But that, when you say hunting, you mean pushing away? Driving the yeah. stock or driving the stock away. Now, that's great if you've got a mature, well-trained dog. They'll accept the fact that, yes, they will stay back with you and they will drive or drive the mob away. But any dog under two-year-old, if, you, if you're doing that with a young pup or any dog under two-year-old, you, you're actually taking the dog out of the dog because it's defying their natural instincts. They are a heading dog. They want to get to the head of the mob. And that's why if you're trying to get sheep up into a shearing shed, up a ramp or something, and you're at the back making a big lot of noise, you look around and a pup will be in the gateway simply because he's trying to bring them back to you because he's a heading dog. So we, that's the first thing we've got to understand. So if you do want a dog to be back with you the whole time and you want to drive or drove, uh, well, don't have a heading dog. Don't have a Kelpie or a Border Collie. Go and get a Poodle or a Chorow or a Hunterway <laughs> or whatever. But uh, yeah, a couple of you put Hunterways with Poodles, and the mm. Hunterway people will be furious with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, but um, no Kelpies and Collies. And if you maintain that, uh, that I have a lot of Kelpies and Collies come here, and I'll I'll tell someone to put you know to cast the dog around some stock. The dog won't go simply because when it was young, 
it used to go around the other side when it wasn't supposed to and got into a fair bit of trouble. So now it won't go. So if you've got sheep or cattle escaping you know, down the road or across a paddock and you want the dog to go and, and bring them back, well, there's every chance that that dog won't go or it might go halfway and then decide, oh, I might be getting in trouble here and come back. So it's, it's vital that we maintain that, that heading instinct in the dogs. So that heading instinct, the theory is that dogs see you as the, uh, the, the master or the, the, the chief wolf in the pack and they're bringing the food to you. Is that yeah. something that obviously you'll subscribe to and is it one of the principles of your training? That's it, exactly. So when your dog goes into a paddock or a yard and, and sees your sheep or your cattle, it's not thinking about your wool clip or prime lambs or... Uh, all it's thinking about is food. So, you know, all dogs have evolved from the wolf and uh, just and that's why uh, Collies and Kelpies um, make such good working dogs because they've still got a lot of the traits that the wolf's got, um, like wanting to work as a pack. And uh, if you're out there with your dog, well, they'll generally see you as the boss of the pack, so they simply want to bring the food to you. And little pups and young dogs, uh, that's... That's what's going on in their head. When they see stock, they're thinking of food. They're seeing you as part of the pack, and they just want to go and bring the food to you so that so that they can have lunch, pretty much. The other thing I might just want to add here, that one of the... Two, I think the two biggest mistakes I would see if someone's, you know, of all the hundreds and hundreds of dogs that I've come across and tried to help people with, what what's lacking? Firstly, is the dogs are just totally lacking confidence. Um, I see... And that's the first thing we have to do with a pup or a young dog, no matter how bad it is or how much, how, how, how many things it's doing wrong, we've just got to keep telling it it's wonderful because a really confident, obnoxiously confident pup or dog is just so easy to train. Whereas if you've got a dog that you've just been down on it too hard, putting too much pressure on it, it's lacking confidence, it's never sure what it's supposed to be doing, it's usually having anxiety attacks, um, they become very, very difficult to teach. So number one, build the dog's confidence up no matter what it's doing. So with a pup, no matter what it's doing, you just tell it how, how good it is. And number two is don't expect too much of young dogs. And I just all the time refer to my rule of thumb is a one-year-old dog's equivalent to a seven-year-old child. Because, and you know they haven't got the capacity to do all these wonderful things. They're still growing, they're still learning. So like with a seven-year-old child, you wouldn't send them off to be a neurosurgeon. You've got to wait until they mature and, and, and gain the, uh, the, the ability to, to accept knowledge. So they've got to age. So one-year-old dog, seven-year-old child, a two-year-old dog, a 14-year-old child, you know, they're, they're getting better at learning. They're still making mistakes, though. But by the time they're 20, you know, a three-year-old dog's 21-year-old adult, and that... That formula has never let me down. So if you've got a six-month-old pup and people want it backing, you know, in the drenching race and loading trucks and everything, you're really dealing with a three-and-a-half-year-old child. So, so the, the best age to really have a dog to start working a dog, are you saying two? No, um, I think the best... People will get the best results if they train their own, like get a pup from, say, eight weeks or whatever, and just have it with you all the time. Uh, no, not all the time, but... Um, so social, it gets to know you. It gets to know all your mannerisms and, and what makes you happy and what learns about your moods and 
and everything else. So just socialise it. Yeah, sure, teach it to sit and to come to you and follow you around, and you might have it dragging 10 metres of real light cord everywhere it goes so that you can hook onto the other end when you want it and, you know, get it to come back to you and all these things. But, uh, you know, you can definitely dro uh, drop a, a pup or a young dog in with stock at any age, you know, three, four months, but just make sure, don't, don't have any expectations, um, don't try and teach it too much, uh, just just go very gradually, uh, gradual at it. But the other thing when you're with people training dogs, a lot of people get a young dog and think, right, oh, it's, it's time I trained this dog. So they go out into the paddock with a big mob or a big area, or they might take it when it, you know the pressure's on landmarking or shearing and they let this dog go and things go pear-shaped and, uh, and it usually has, you know, ends up being having a detrimental effect to the dog. So if you're going to start training a dog, the, the rule is start small. Everything has got to be small. It'll usually be a small dog in a small area with a small number of small stock for a small amount of time. So everything is small and you might be only, you know, put it in, put it in with five lambs so it doesn't get hurt. Let it start learning its skills, you're in there with it. And then as it starts to improve and mature, everything will get bigger. So you'll go, you know, bigger, bigger, bigger until such time as it's out in your 500 acre paddock with, you know, a thousand sheep. It's just started small and you just build on that. Uh, now it's hard to to condense two days of <laughs> your uh, your, your um, training into a, a 15, 20 minute interview, but um, you were saying your, your rule of thumb is a you know a thousand sheep up to four, a team of four dogs. Now that seems like a lot of dogs for not that many sheep. Yeah, that's uh, another, like, you know, I, I know a lot of people, I, I would get contacted daily by people that would say, oh, I've lost my dog or it's got in pup or it's got snake bitten or it's taken a bait and shearing's coming on, have you got a dog for me? And I will just say, well, where's your other dog? So, well, we haven't got one. Um, this, I just get back to the efficiencies of the whole thing. You know, like, they're important as any part of any machinery you might have. And I just think, especially in high, high rainfall zones, and in particular, if there is crossbred sheep involved, I think it, with a 1,000 ewes, if you've got a thousand ewes, I think you really need at least three fully trained dogs and one coming on. Now, every thousand sheep you in, every time you increase that uh, to another thousand. So, if you've got two thousand ewes, you'll just add another dog. So you'll have four fully trained dogs and one coming on. And you'll probably do that. You know, if you had uh, six thousand ewes, um, you, you probably don't need any more than six fully trained dogs. That's a great team but you'd always have one coming on because those dogs are getting older, so don't wait until they're all old retirees and then decide, oh, it's time I introduced another one. And what, what advice do you have to people about introducing that dog? Because you've got the, uh, you know, the king dog and you bring in another dog and uh, you know, there's a fair bit of tension there. Yeah, well, there shouldn't be tension. Um, I think that uh, we've got to stop treating our dogs like machinery, uh, like a piece of machinery that we just leave down behind the shed until one day we've got need it and we'll go and start it up and start using it. If we if we treat dogs like that, we'll never have good dogs. Dogs have got this innate desire to be wanted to be part of a human's life. So you know they're like children. If you've got them, you've got pretty you know definite responsibilities. Um, so if you've got you know a few dogs. Uh, 
you've got to be the boss of the pack, of course, um, and they all look for leadership. And if there's any politics happening in the pack, like one's wanting to fight another one or something, well, that simply means that your job's on the line and they're trying to perhaps take over from you. So I, I just tell everybody, if you've got dogs, you will have a lead in your pocket, a light, comfortable lead for leading a dog in your pocket. When you get up in the morning, put a lead in your pocket. And if one's, you know, not towing the line, we'll simply put it on the lead and they learn very quickly that, uh, well, if I want to stay off the lead like all my mates, I'll just, they learn, they're very smart, they're super clever. <laughs> well, Ian, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing to watch you um, work with dogs. Uh, you've got a, a very calm manner and, and uh, incredible skills. Something that you did recently is, um, and you've done many times, is, is uh, sort of public displays and demonstrations of dogs and sheep. Um, you've done that for, for many years in Melbourne. Recently did it at the MCG for AWI. Um, what was that like? Oh, I, I absolutely love doing it because it's just, you know, you've got the... You, you go down to the city and you go to something like, you know, to the MCG before before the big match, and this match was between uh, Essendon and Geelong. Everyone's there with their scarves and their beanies on. Everyone's in a great mood and relaxed. And you get there, and it's just, and the, all the kids are there, and it's just, it's so, it's great to be just show them where the, their food comes from. But in my case, I just uh, like to me, the working dog is the is the unsung hero of the nation. Um, you know, we all say that Australia rode on a sheep's back for one and a half centuries or whatever. None of that would have been possible without working dogs behind the scenes. And uh, they've been so good to me. Whatever I've achieved in my life, it's been because of working dogs. And it, I just see it as it's payback time. It's now time for me to put them up on the mantle where they belong. And I love going down to Melbourne and just t talk, you know, t telling people that these little guys are out there right across Australia could um, you know make making it possible for us to supply the cities with food and fiber now the divide between city and country is probably greater than it's ever been and we've seen now see that um, animal activists are, are trying to attack the goodwill that farmers have and portray the worst side of um, agriculture and often trying to paint farmers involved with livestock as cruel. Um, the potential for shows such as the demonstration that you do with Kelpies for bridging that gap is just enormous because people, of course, have pet dogs and associate with dogs. Um, what would you have to say about that? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more, and that's uh, that's what makes it also so rewarding to be able to go down and do that. Like I said, there was so many children there, and when that the, they can't, they couldn't help. Like you know, I could have six or eight dogs down there, and I did have, and that they they wouldn't be able to help but see that the close bond that I've got with my working dogs and how I love my dogs and my dogs love me, they would do anything for me. And just the way we, we treat, treat the sheep and, and work the sheep, and I just, you know, everything was low stress, everything was calm and quiet, and uh, it, 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 it was just, it's just obvious to everybody down there that, and I make a point of telling them that if I don't look after my working dogs and if I don't look after my sheep, 
I'm out of business. I'm a business person. I, you know, I have sheep. That's my business. That's what feeds me. And if I don't look after them and treat them like, you know, give them the utmost care, I'm out of business. So I think anyone that what, uh, comes and sees these demonstrations, they go away knowing that, well, perhaps these farmers, you know, that they, we are what we say we are. Yeah, it's a pretty convincing argument. Now, you've been doing this for, for many years. Um, I love the selfie with a kelpie that everyone the kids got to pat dogs and take photographs and things but you must have had a lot of um, interesting questions over the years what are the some of the the funny unusual questions you've had from uh, from kids and people in the city oh uh, i did have one actually at the the um at the melbourne show i for a few years i'd go down there doing uh doing demonstrations on the arena and uh, afterwards we'd always ask for questions and I had an assistant that used to have a roving microphone and I would just tell anybody that had questions to go and see, go and see my assistant and at the end we'd answer any questions. Anyway, this little kid come up to, and, and my assistant said, I've got a little child here that's got a question for you. And I said, OK, out with it. So this is going across the PA probably to 1,500 people. And the question was, what are dogs made of? That's right. What are dogs made of? So, uh, yeah, that really stumped me. I didn't know. <laughs> what was your answer? Uh, I don't know. I think I, I, I probably come out with something like they've been made very similar to humans. You know, they've, yeah. they've, they've got skin. And Maybe they, a bit more love than humans. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, people, you know, there's the old saying, don't ever get, don't ever go out and demonstrate with children or um children or animals you can get yourself in a bit of and a you've been, yeah, you've but, got both going but so far so good <laughs> well Ian um, look it's been a, a great pleasure to, to catch up um, thank you very much for your uh, uh, for, your, for your time and what you've done um, to, to get man and dog closer together in a in a working sense hopefully there's um, plenty more years of um, dog house training left how do people get in contact with you if they're interested and, and see your videos you've got some great videos online yeah, well, what's happened, because I have got my farm and I'm not getting any younger, and I, I've really, I've got 50 years of experience with, with working dogs, and, uh, and it's just been a passion of mine to learn as much as I possibly can. So I guess I've got 50 years of experience. And as I said, I've done lots of schools and just had over a 1,000 people just through this one where we live. Um, and this year, as I said, I'm in every state in Australia, but I'm really, that's, I'm at the end of my tether with schools, like I can't possibly take any more on, I can only deal with 10 or 12 people at a time, so I'm not going to live long enough to get the message out there. So, and people have been at me for years to document my skills so that, you know, the next generation can uh, make them available to the next generation. And so last year, uh, I was lucky enough to surround myself with people that did have the skills. So what we did, we, we did document it with film and uh, we, we've now got it available. I've got my whole 50 years experience, if you like, um, pruned down to four and a half hours of training and working with, you know, how to train them and how to work with them. Uh, it's called Doghouse Training. Um, so people can access that and they can either download the videos onto their iPhone or any other app, apparatus that they may have on their computer and have it for life or if people that are having, you know, in bad internet access areas they can get, it's all on DVD as well. So if anybody out there is, you know, wanting to have a look at it, um, they just go to our website which is all the W's, Farm Dog Training, all one word, 
uh, and they'll, they'll find us there. Farm Dog Training. Farm Dog Training. Um, there it is. Ian, thank you very much for your time today and, uh, yeah, having a yarn with us. So all the best for you. Pleasure. Thanks, Murray. Okay, so I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Yarn. If you'd like it, please leave a review on iTunes and that way others can find it. Feel free to send us any feedback or suggestions at theyarn at wool.com. We're actually in the process of following up a few of these suggestions. Um, is there anyone successfully weaning over 90% lambs in maiden merino ewes, for example? What happens to lanolin? And can regenerative agriculture actually work or is it just a nice theory? These are a few things we're chasing up at the moment. But anyway, from me, Marius Cumming, thank you for having a yarn with us and we look forward to your company again soon.